Welcome. In the Telling is back from summer break in this special Labor Day episode with my guests from the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, a union for backstage theater workers. I spoke with Hope Bird. Uh, yeah, so my name is Hope Bird. Um, I'm a wig and makeup artist primarily, um, but I also do wardrobe. My background is in uh, theatrical wigs and makeup design. I've been a member of the Local 99 IATSE Union for a little over a year officially, and I've worked at many of the different theaters all across the Salt Lake Valley. And Allison Smart. Hi, I'm Allison Smart. I'm an international representative with the IATSE, which stands for the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. I'm a member as well. Uh, I joined, I think in 2013, so I'm coming up on my seven year anniversary. You know, my background is in theater, live entertainment, dance, production. My specialty is audio, but like a good stagehand, I do anything that needs to be done that you will pay me to do. <laughs> <laughs> Who met with me over Zoom in the social distancing of 2020 to talk with me about IATSE, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. We discuss the what's, why's, and how's of the union and its local 99 chapter, as well as the Red Alert movement by workers in live event industries. I'm your host, Liz Christensen, and it's all in the telling. Welcome to episode 47 with my guests, Hope Bird and Allison Smart. And I'm coming to you live from Los Angeles, California. Which begs the question for me, uh, Local 99 covers what territory? Yeah, it covers the entire state of Utah and Southern Idaho in all crafts. So not only do we have that huge geographic area, but Local 99 covers live event workers in theater, music, trade shows, sorry, exhibition. <laughs> A little exposition for you. Uh, trade show and exhibition work and motion pictures and television. I work with Local 99, which is the local in Utah, uh, but I also work for the International, which covers uh, the United States and Canada. So how many union members? Is that a stat that you have off the top of your head that are in Local 99? Yeah, uh, we have about I want to say 320 members right now. We've really grown in the past year and a half. Uh, I think when Hope joined, we maybe had 250. So that's a really big increase. The international, the IATSE all across the United States and Canada has about 150,000 members. That's impressive. Um, Hope, do you feel like there's a spread of um skill sets in our local chapter or are we heavy in one area and missing people in another no we're pretty across the board we have a lot of different artisans we have a lot we just got a lot more hair and makeup that used to be the one that was kind of the lowest and then we have lots of props people we have lots of electricians deck i mean it's not something you get every single local but for our local here we get all the different factions for people who are coming from an acting background, especially in the state of Utah, which is a right to work state, so they might not be very familiar with unions at all, generally, 
like, are you getting jobs through the union? And I don't want to say castings, right? But that's the, the other word for it. Are you getting gig work? Are you getting notices? What does your union do for you? Yeah, so I really enjoy it um, because, like I said, when I started, um, I started at Pioneer Theater. Um, I, it was just one person who I knew. Um, and I kind of stayed at that theater until I met someone who was with the local 99 and they needed someone with my particular skill set that could work um, one of the touring shows that came in. And so ever since then, um, and I've joined in, we get what we call calls and they basically just say, hey, we need a person of this skill set um, to come work this production that's this length. And so it's really nice because I can accept them as they come in. But also if I'm already working another gig, I don't have to. And it can go to the next person on our list. Um, so I really like it because it's really flexible. It lets it basically lets every person who's hiring my particular skill set know, hey, this person has these skills and they're good to go. It just is really nice. Rather than me having to do all the scanning to try to find the work, it's kind of like the work comes to me. I want to say a couple things about how the the union is positioned to be able to do that kind of like call offering for Hope. So we operate for our trade show and stage live event workers. We operate what's called a hiring hall. So we have relationships, the, the union has relationships with different employers in Utah and, and Idaho. I'll just use one example that comes to mind because Hope is here, which is Utah Opera, uh, Utah Opera and Utah Symphony. The union, on behalf of its workers, in collaboration with its workers, has a contract that's negotiated that governs, you know, who gets paid what, how long can you work without a break, what period of rest do you need between when you get cut and when you get called back. If you travel when you're working, how much do you get paid? And I bring all of that up because I think that a lot of people, it's like a kind of a mystery <laughs> to how it works. Um, and also this concept of like right to work, all that means legally is that the people who have the benefits of working under a union agreement do not have to be members of the union. That, that's really it. So I think it, it creates this this narrative that like maybe unions aren't as relevant or necessary, but I would argue that's not true. I mean, I'll speak from a personal perspective. When I was working under contracts in theaters, I like to show up and know how much I'm getting paid. To know that the, you know, person next to me isn't getting paid more than me, right? I mean, especially in, in Hope's craft, uh, which is hair and makeup, you know, traditionally those folks were paid less because they were made up of women and LGBTQ folks and minorities. And so to walk onto a call and know that, you know, I'm getting paid just as much as my male counterpart and Hope is getting paid just as much as me makes me feel really good. <laughs> um, also knowing I'm going to get a lunch break after five hours of work. <laughs> because I'm going to be hungry, you know, um, knowing that if I have an issue at work, I'm, God forbid, being harassed, or I'm having some sort of interpersonal issue with my boss or someone else, and don't feel like I can advocate for myself because they're hiring me, and that would be a weird thing to do, I can call my union, and they can come and help facilitate that conversation, um, kind of give me a little 
protection, like barrier, I guess. So those are just some, some of the things, not to mention benefits. Uh, a lot of people, I'm sure you know this, Elizabeth, a lot of people who work in theater, especially, they bounce around from gig to gig to make their living. And it's really hard to get health insurance, <laughs> not, not to mention thinking about planning for retirement. So anytime you work under a local 99 agreement, whether it's at the opera or at the Vivint Arena or at the, you know, at the Salt Palace Convention Center, you're earning benefits paid for by your employer that are going to one central place. So you can bounce around for, you know, we've all had at the end of our, our tax year, you know, 12 different employers we have to list, but they're all, you know, I'm still at the end of the day being able to have that sense of stability because I have insurance and I have retirement contributions. How is it, what's the collective bargaining power that enables the union to say you're only, you have to give her a lunch break after five hours? Like, what is it that enables you to, to do that? I mean, at the core of it, it's the people. The union is, is nothing without you. <laughs> it's nothing without the people who are in the union, because I can go to someone and demand all I want. But unless I'm going with the backing of hundreds of people who have the power to walk off a job and make a job not possible, I mean, that's the history of the labor movement in the United States, right? And that, that is kind of what enables every collective bargaining agreement to have any power, <laughs> um, is inherently the, the solidarity amongst the workers to say, if you don't give us this thing that's really important, we're, we're taking a hike. Well, and if I can piggyback onto that, um, the nice thing about it is because oftentimes, you know, like speaking from personal experience, it's like, I want a change, but I don't want to ruffle any feathers because I still want to work here. So by having, you know, it's it's not quite anonymity. It's kind of more like um, it, it takes the, per the, the personal out of it. And so rather than whoever we're bargaining with can be like, oh, well, this is just hope and hope's opinion. It's more like, no, this is a collective group. And it kind of makes it more, it makes it more professional. It makes it more about the business practice. And it's not about the personal. It's not he versus she. And yeah, it really just makes it more personal or not personal. It makes it more professional. So it's not as personal in the way of like where your, your emotions get involved. Yeah. And we, you know, have been, it's not always like this kind of militant labor movement thing. I mean, that's, we're coming up on Labor Day, we should all talk about it, but a lot of it is we have good relationships with these employers. They've used union labor and supported union workers for decades, um, or they just also know that, you know, Local 99 has a, a standard of excellence that they can trust when they call. They're going to get someone like Hope to come and do, you know, their complicated wig setup. What kind of qualifications are you looking for in a union member or like what does membership entail? It's all different, right? Because you can be uh, someone who has like a highly specialized craft, like Hope, who, who does uh, wigs and makeup or someone like me who can do audio really well, but I can also do a bunch of other things or someone who this is kind of they're trying it out, right? There's maybe not enough work for them to be doing it full time. like hope or like I was before I became a rep. So they're still kind of on that bubble of 
semi-professional leaning, you know, wanting to become more professional. And there's space for all of those people at Local 99. There's jobs that require all different levels of skill. The process for, you know, pre-COVID for, for becoming involved is we would actually have monthly kind of open office hours where people could come down, go to the hall, see the human beings that work there, <laughs> fill out an application, and then they would get scheduled to come to a training that is three and a half to four hours that gives them a whole introduction to what venues we work at, what does it mean to be part of the union, what is solidarity, how do you show up to a job if you've never worked in the entertainment industry before and be successful. And then, so that's kind of very basic level, your first kind of like week. (laughs) And then there are are other trainings that are offered um, for free to all of the workers by the local, whether it's, you know, training on how to use an ETC ion lighting console or getting your OSHA 10 certification. I mean, for... Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say it could be something as simple as there's a uh, a steaming and ironing class to learn how to properly take care of fabric so that you don't burn a hole in something. Everyone has their first day on the job. I like to say that a lot. I got that from my coworker Peter Marley. Not here, but I imagine him just. In <laughs> <Thank> uh, <laughs> but everybody had a first day, so we're here to support workers whether it's their first day or their you know thirtieth year <laughs> in the industry. It sounds like obviously not having this be this primary function, that it's a network that fosters professionalism and expertise, kind of whether or not you feel like you can say the words professional and expert in your own experience yet. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think Hope is great, well positioned to speak to that since she's a new member and took all those trainings. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and honestly for me, um, you know, because, uh, Like I was in high school, I did high school theater here in Utah, and I was like, oh, I want to make this a career. How do I do that? And at the time, the only tools I had were to go to college and learn about it that way. Um, But once I got there, that's kind of where I learned about networking. And for the longest time, I was always afraid that I was, I hadn't had enough experience yet to join the union. Um, So that's actually what took me so long to join, because I have actually been in the field of hair and makeup for about a decade now. (laughs) Um, And so like when I finally made that contact, I realized like, oh, you know, I can come in at any level and this is a great network of people like, um, you know, all the hair and makeup supervisors that come to town on the touring shows, there's always something I can learn from them. Because in any job you get, you always want some sort of support. But when you're an independent artist going from place to place to place, how can you find that support? And so being able to work with a bunch of other professionals to maybe guide you, um, something I struggled with was um, being able to like talk to the, um, the actors in my chair to be able to be like, hey, is it okay if I put a hairpin here or something? And so just being able to have someone who I've never like had much interaction with be able to give me professional insight, you know, just kind of helped me grow as an artist and now for me, like now that I've experienced this, I've brought so many of my friends. I'm like, Hey, come join the local 99. You know, you're going to have a great time. And they were like, Oh, but I don't have the experience. And after speaking to um, different members of the union, they're like, Oh, actually this is where I can get that experience and grow. What are the union's goals? What's 2020 about for local 99? 
I mean, from a macro perspective, 2020 for Local 99 it is about just making sure that our members can survive. Of the, hop, the hiring hall in 2019, we dispatched, meaning we sent out individual jobs, like unique jobs, about 29,000 times. Wow. And in 2020, it's been um, reduced by conservatively 70%. So we support, I mean, even though we only have, we only, we have about 330 members, we have hundreds of other workers who just aren't members, but work under contracts. Because like I said, the right to work thing means you don't have to be a member. So we have hundreds of people who are out of work, people who worked part-time to full-time and, you know, just need help navigating unemployment insurance, need help in terms of uh, food donations, who need to be checked in on because they're not seeing their coworkers on the job sites every day and they just need someone to talk to. That's been a lot of, of the work of the local. We're also actually organizing a march on Tuesday, the day after Labor Day, from the front of Vivint Arena to Abravanel Hall. And a lot of the venues that Local 99 works at are gonna be lit up in red to signal red alert. I, I know that's a, an event that's been happening across the country, but we're doing it in Utah on the 8th. Will, um, you, um, will you sidetrack for just a second in case my listeners, it's a storytelling podcast in a lot of different industries and maybe the authors that have listened have no idea what we're referring to with the red alert. So yeah. will you kind of go into that for a minute? Yeah. So there's an organization independent of the IATSE uh, called We Make Events and they kind of put out this global call to live entertainment industry, both the workers, the every stakeholder in the live entertainment industry and said, hey, it's been months. For Local 99, we, hundreds of people found themselves unemployed in an instant, and they haven't had work since, really. How can we bring attention to this issue that this sector that brings so much money into our communities um, and so much joy to people and also employs thousands of people <laughs> is still suffering and there's really no plan to get it back up and running again as long as the pandemic is still going on. Uh, and so they created this hashtag red alert um, event, which is visualizing for communities, all of the different live event centers, whether it's a bar that puts on music or the Eccles that puts on Broadway tours or the Salt Palace that puts on trade shows. You know, I think the motivation is communities just kind of forget that all these things exist because we're supposed to work behind the scenes. No one's supposed to know we're there. So now we have to do the very difficult task of pushing ourselves to the forefront of the conversation. So that's, that's what Red Alert is. Back to Planning Tuesday, and that's part of this surviving this moment. Yeah, we, we need some help from legislators, both in the state and federally, to extend the pandemic unemployment assistance. There are many other legislative priorities, you know, including extending COBRA for people who have lost their health insurance, making sure that there are actual standards for back-to-work protocols, uh, which OSHA, which is the federal 
organization that oversees occupational self uh, safety and health has not really done. <laughs> All of those things and more, uh, we hope that, you know, Utah legislators will be creative in the ways that they, you know, incentivize and or, and really, and protect <laughs> the industry that brings so much money to Utah. But aside from those new goals that came up with COVID, right, we still have all the other goals that we've always had, uh, which are to represent more people to the best of our ability. You know, the union is there for workers and we want to extend our hand to everyone in the entertainment industry in Utah so that we can kind of demystify <laughs> what it is we do, how we can help you. A part of that is organizing, um, organizing new groups of people to form a union. And that's, I'm gonna transition to hope. <laughs> well, so I think, especially I'm a born and raised Utah, um, there's this like misconception that unions are bad. Uh, if you're with a union, then you are against your employer. And it's not anything like that. It's basically, you know, we all have those like backroom talks or like, you know, side conversations with our coworkers of things that we wish were better. Because at the end of the day, we all want to be working, especially we all want to be working in theater. That's why we're there. And so it's important for us to be able to get together as groups and rather than, you know, just be upset and think that we're powerless, by combining our voices together, we can really provide change to make a safer, better working environment for everyone. There's a history of kind of like theaters in Utah not really wanting to be a part of the union, um, but I think that by us realizing that it's actually there to help make it a better place for everyone, and it's really just a platform for us to say all the things we've been saying um, and to actually make change happen because of that. Um, it's not something that we need to be afraid of. Because it's not a, it's not an us versus them mentality. It's just a, I like to think of it as another tool um, to be able to achieve efficiency and safety and to kind of just make the family more whole that way. You know, usually you have an accountant do your taxes so that you don't have to fight about it as a family. It's kind of that kind of same concept, you know. When you organize, is that venue specific, trade specific? What specific is it? How do we compartmentalize and categorize the organizing? It can be a lot of different things, <laughs> but I'll stick to the thing that Local 99 predominantly does, which is by venue, or I should say by employer, because you need to have what's called under federal labor law. Everyone get real excited because I'm going to talk about federal labor law. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just what you want to hear. You need to have a community of interest, which means that you have commonalities in the place that you work, who cuts your checks, are you hourly versus salaried, what job, ta what like tasks are you performing at work? I'll, I'll give one specific example. At the Utah Opera, the hair and makeup department was not represented by Local 99, even though all of the other crafts were. Their community of interest got together, meaning people who work at the Utah Opera doing hair and makeup work, and said, we should have a union. <laughs> then we did. Uh, there are a lot of steps in between, a lot of steps. But at its very fundamental core, 
it's about workers coming together, saying the same things they're probably already saying, and then connecting with a, a union who, who really has the tools and experience to be able to take those voices to the people at the company that needs to hear them and to help negotiate what is needed to make a safer, better working environment for everybody. Like, for example, with Utah Opera, you know, I have no negotiating background whatsoever. And the the pay that I was making um, at the opera not being represented was way less than I could even, I was actually really losing money by taking those jobs, but I just loved it so much that I would do it. But I didn't possess the tools necessary to be able to speak uh, intelligently to the people who it mattered to, to be able to change that. And so that's why having someone like Allison or um, like our business agent, yeah, our business agent, that's what she's there to do is to be able to go and talk to them on our behalf. And something that we we talk a lot about when it comes to like organizing is the concept of 50% plus one, you know, so that means like the majority of us want these changes, we want these things, but we might not possess all the skills or tools needed to be able to make change happen. So that's where having that support network um, to be able to help us make change. It's really and nice. Frankly, like Hope's full-time job is to do hair and makeup. And my full-time job is to help people talk to their employers. <laughs> so <and> like, <laughs> you can't expect a, like a full-time or part-time theater professional to also then have time to do this other whole full-time job. <laughs> so that's where I come in. <laughs> that example was really interesting to me because it's way more specific and I would say probably smaller in quantity than I would have guessed in terms of like an organizational unit. Is that yeah. a misconception most people have about this? Is that like a union has to be this big, huge quantity of people? I think so. I think it can, I can also take on a variety of appearances. I mean, the opera is one example in terms of hair and makeup. I just filed, again, National Labor Relations Board Nobody fall asleep when I say that. <laughs> Basically, one of the like logistical mechanisms of, of organizing a union is at a certain point, I probably have to notify the National Labor Relations Board, which is the federal office that oversees workers and also unions, unionizing workers, I should say. I notified them recently that we'd organized a theater in Los Angeles called the Wallace Annenberg Center for the Performing Arts. And that unit includes full-time technical staff and part-time technical staff, as well as child wranglers, um, box office, and ushers. And the technical staff in its own kind of umbrella has hair and makeup, wardrobe, and stagehands. That's a, a, you know, a much larger number of people a much broader group than the Utah Opera hair and makeup. So it kind of runs the, the gamut. Do you find that, that when you first want to talk about this with somebody, that there's a great deal of reluctance on their part to not be a troublemaker? I would, yeah, I would say, and because I've gone through this kind of process recently, um, I can talk about like, you know, I have my friends, they're, they're my friends that are so close to their family. And I know that they're upset about the way things are happening at work. And, you know, when you talk about them, you see their pain, you see their anguish, because all they want to do is work and do their job, um, you know, effectively and efficiently. 
something that I've had to say to multiple friends is, you you know, I guess it's that theater spirit of, you know, oh, well, we just got to make the show happen. We just got to get through whatever's happening and we'll make the show happen. You know, that's why we do Hell Week to try to just push through that. But um, I think a part of self-care is to remember that you don't have to light yourself on fire to keep other people warm. You know, that's something, especially for theater workers, we all are, just care so much about the show that we're willing to light ourselves on fire to let the show happen. And, you know, you get so worried that if I bring up that I'm unhappy or that um, if I do say something, then they'll be like, oh, they can't handle it. So we won't ask them for the next show, you know? And so I really just think it comes from, it's like that double-edged sword of, of that American like cultivated like spirit that we have nowadays that's like, oh, you're sick, you should still work. You know, it's, it's almost, it's something we've created as a society, um, you know, which, I mean, it comes from a great place of like that American can-do attitude. Um, but I feel like it's kind of gotten distorted to the point of everyone's kind of lighting themselves on fire and going as far as they can go instead of realizing that we can work smarter, not harder. We can take care of ourselves. And by taking care of ourselves, that makes us better workers. But it's hard to change that mindset especially if you are in a borderline or even a toxic work environment to be able to want to speak up about that, um, especially if you love your job. And I know there are a lot of theaters in Utah because we don't, you know, it's always been this culture of not being unionized um, that it is feast or famine when you're working these shows and you have to sacrifice so much of your quality of life in order to fulfill yourself as an artist. Uh, where and I just feel like a lot of us just don't realize that you can have both. You can you can be well maintained and be like you know fulfilled in your job. You know it definitely is a, a culture in theater that we will just push ourselves so hard for the art. And union workers have this weird rap for being lazy, quote unquote. Like, I don't know what's lazy about like getting paid appropriately for the work you do and getting benefits so that you can retire in dignity and don't have to work until you're 70 and can't like bend over anymore. Like, I don't, it just, I do understand it. And I'm kind of like hyperbolizing my, my angst about it, but it really is exactly what Hope said. Like, we don't have to do this to ourselves. I think we're starting to reckon with it in a, in a national conversation because we're all working from home. Or I heard a really great phrase the other day on radio, on the radio, which is um, we're all living at work. And I think that more than ever, this idea, like we're having to, to reckon with, like, I cannot be at work and take care of my kids and do laundry and feed myself and sleep and like have time for, to enjoy your life. And that, unfortunately, has always been true for people who work in theater. You can, you just, there's no time to do all those things. And so it is an absolute privilege of mine to be able to advocate for people who work in the industry that I love so much because we deserve it. Everybody deserves it. The people who own the companies deserve it. The people who work and make the art deserve it. And that shouldn't be a controversial thought but it is. So, so somebody's listening and they're thinking, this all sounds really good, 
on a meta level and as an academic exercise. And I, I want, I'm emotionally responding to what Hope is saying, but I really have no idea what to do. So what, what's the first, what's the first easy step? So your first step is really, um, you can call the local 99. Right now you can't really go in because of COVID, but you can call, you can talk to the person in the office and just ask your questions. Like if you know nothing about it, you can ask them. Or if you know someone who's a member, like reach out to us, like any person who knows me or knows someone who knows someone who knows me, you can reach out to me. I'd love to give you advice because as artists, um, we should be there to help build each other up. I'm not going to keep secrets and be like, oh, well, I want to make sure I get all the work. So I'm not going to tell anyone all this information. I'm I'm of the school of thought that the more you share with others, the more you can help your community grow, the bigger and better it's going to get. And so by all of us giving each other this information, it's going to be great. So that's step one is to call and ask. Now, if you're you know, step one is to organize. It's that same thing of talking to other people around you and just finding out how they feel, you know, oh, you feel this way. How about we do something, you know, because it's all well and good to talk about being upset. It's a whole nother to take that step to want to do something about it. And that's always the scariest step. You know, it takes a lot of bravery. It takes a lot of courage to say, you know what, I'm done being treated like this. I want to borderline say demand more, uh, you know, I, because it's, it's possible. A lot of people will say that it's not possible for this to happen. It's not possible for us to organize. It's not possible for us to unionize, but I think humans as a whole, we, we've shown that we can do anything we want. So as long as we talk about it and communicate, that's, you know, I guess communication is step one. I think a point again about federal labor law to make is that you know employers can't deny your right to organize. That's what the National Labor Relations Act is. It's a federal law that guarantees people the right to what's called concerted activity, which means talking to your coworkers about how to improve the working conditions of your job. And that is protected under law. And when a majority of workers want to form a union, the company can make it difficult, but they can't say no. Because I hear this a lot, like, oh, well, what's the company going to say? Well, they may say a lot of things, but what they can't say is no. And I think that helps embolden people a little more um, to say, like, I'm ready to do this. You know, you can, if you're in the entertainment industry and you're a kind of a behind the scenes professional, you can go to IATSE.net and you can click on how to join. And there's information there a little bit more, just a little. It's very riveting, I promise, about federal labor law. And, um, and can also help connect you with someone like me who uh, knows about it <laughs> and can help walk you through it. But I, I wholeheartedly agree with Hope that talking to people is the best way to start. Yeah, and you, do, you don't have to be silent. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah, um, another fun catchphrase is a rising tide raises all boats or a rising tide lifts all boats, whichever you prefer. Um, but it's true. Uh, it's not only true for wages, right? When a non-union theater turns union and their wages lift, a lot of other unions have to lift their wages to compete. But it also is, is personal, right? Someone, someone's got to be the first one to take that leap and people will join you and you'll all rise together. You'll all get the benefits together. I think a lot of employers are just scared. You know, union workers 
have a reputation for being expensive for a reason. And it's because they usually cost more money <laughs> than people who are not represented by a union and have to navigate advocating for themselves individually. On average, union workers get paid 25% more than non-union workers, which I think is pretty incredible. And also, the union's interest is the worker's interest. And their interest is to have a place to work. So we're not going to be trying to shut down the venues and employers that put people to work. We don't want that. That's never, that's not what we're about. I think if people understood it from that perspective, right, that everyone at a negotiating table when talking about a collective bargaining agreement, the employers and the workers, they have a vested interest in making sure that work continues to happen. And, you know, it's my personal negotiating philosophy to approach the table that way. Like, this is what we have in common. How can we move forward with this process? You're right. You know, there is a lot of time now to consider, I think, one, has what we've been doing been working <laughs> personally for people? I would argue maybe not. <laughs> and also, yeah, like how, you know, the IATSE in a, in a variety of crafts has put out very comprehensive suggestions for employers to look at for how to make it in a workplace safe when it does reopen. So like, let us lend you our expertise. A lot of people who run theaters, they are not technicians themselves. That's not a dig. It's just a fact. And it means that they don't understand the intricacies of how a backstage works and therefore cannot plan effectively to combat COVID. Well, and that's what, especially with all the, all the, good information and all the bad information that's out there about COVID um, and kind of how we've gotten to where we are now, there's really just an opportunity to realize that maybe maybe our industry, just like any other industry, isn't indestructible. Um, and so how can we apply these things now so we can get back to work safely, but also the positive effects that'll have for the future um, especially, you know, I, I think I've already said this, but the idea of working when you have a cold is like common practice in anywhere you work. So maybe normalizing wearing a mask when you're sick, you know, that could be a good thing. That could be a positive thing that not only is going to help us get back to what we want to do now, but help us down the road so that we can just be overall healthy. You know, how many times have we worked a, a show where half the cast gets sick because, they had to work sick because they didn't, you know, actors didn't have someone to cover them, just like there wasn't a technician to cover a spot, you know, and so maybe through this process, we can, you know, come out on the better side that isn't even COVID related, we can make sure that we're taking care of everyone. And, you know, because at the end of the day, we all want to create art, we all want to be a part of this beautiful thing, this ancient idea of storytelling that's been around forever. How can we make that even better? I think that the place to do that, um, you know, because you can talk innovation in any of the different technical areas, but I really think the next innovation is going, like the next big thing in theater is going to be how we change it to be more um, protective of um, the people creating it and how do we create more respect for it as an art form. Utah has a, a lot of, of theaters and they run the gamut, right? From like amateur, semi-professional, local, community, professional, yada, yada. And there's tons. And, and especially with COVID, they're going to be thinking every penny matters right now. 
um, they're so close to feeling like they can't even survive to the end of quarantine to put something on. What would you say to to theater people who are listening and are in a position of of sitting at this table but are reluctant to because they're they're stressed out about what it might mean at a time where everything is stressful? Yeah, I mean we're we're stressed right with you. You know, we're scared that theaters won't be able to survive until the end of COVID, but we're optimistic. Um, but we, what I would say to that is, there is a unique contract for you. The union isn't going to show up at your door and try to ram a one size fits all agreement down your individual, you know, community theater's throat. Like that is just not how good business is done, period. Um, and every negotiation that I'm a part of is unique. Each group of workers and each organization has its own specific things that it needs to talk about. I mean, yeah, will we disagree on economics? Probably. Will we find our way through it to an agreement that we can all live with? Yes. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, like, we have to, like, that's what negotiation is about, is everyone's a little unhappy, but we can all live <laughs> with it. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's this misconception that it's a, a non-starter, we're just going to show up and do what we always do, and it's going to be really disruptive to your business model. It doesn't always have to be like that. It, it's It's very specific to what the needs are and what the financial realities are of, of every place. So if, um, if I'm interested in taking a first step and I'm not a backstage worker, I'm on a board of directors or I'm an executive producer, I'm, I'm an admin, right? Uh, do I still call Local 99 yeah. my first step still? Absolutely. I didn't mean to step over you there, but you should actually email me and you can post my email in the, the notes. But my email is a smart s-m-a-r-t-t at iatse.net and i'm the one that can help uh, get the ball rolling answer your questions you know send you a draft of something for you and your board um, or your administrative staff to consider and uh, we'll work together to to figure it out if you're in utah join the local 99 if you are an entertainment professional or want to be you're in school Maybe you do it part-time. You did one community theater show and now you're hooked. Welcome. You know, like call us, email us. You can find us on Facebook, IATSD Local 99. Find out how you can join and how we can represent the place that you work. So you have all of these amazing things that Hope articulated so beautifully today. <laughs> Thank you to my guests, Hope Bird and Allison Smart. Thank you so much, ladies. I really appreciate talking to you today. In the Telling is back from summer break with a bunch of interviews I'm excited to bring you. Look forward to conversations with a poet, Amish romance novelist, quilling artist, accents and dialects coach, and more this fall. You can help more people find In the Telling by leaving a review on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, or any other podcast delivery platform. Find out more about In the Telling at lizzylizzyliz.com. Subscribe to In The Telling Podcast channel on YouTube for bonus content. Theme music by Gordon Venus. In The Telling is hosted and produced by me, Liz Christensen. Thanks for listening.